Hello and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast about electronic music and all things synth. I'm Carousey and in this episode I'm talking to Richard Norris who's been recording, producing and releasing music for more than four decades. He started out as a young teen in a post-punk band before diving into Acid House as a co-producer of Jack the Tab, one of the UK's first Acid House compilations. He then formed The Grid with Soft Cell's Dave Ball, who went on to have 10 UK hit singles, including the million-selling Swamp Thing. Richard's remixed hundreds of well-known artists, including Brian Eno, Pet Shop Boys, Warpaint, and has collaborated with the likes of Robert Fripp, Mark Almond, Joe Strummer, and even Sun Ra. His memoir, Strange Things Are Happening, will be released in 2024. For a taste of Richard's music to get us started, here's an extract from the Grid's Balearic classic called Flotation. Well, hello, Richard Norris, and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast. Hi, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, lovely to meet you the other week when you were supporting Ulrich Schnauz. And lots of people and timelines in common. So I'm excited to talk to you today. And wow, there's so much. You've done so much that um, let's see how much we can cover in 30 to 45 minutes. I guess I'm going to have to start with the timeline, kind of those defining Mm. moments for you that have brought you to where you are now and um, yeah, how you feel your kind of musicality, but also kind of your tools and techniques have developed over the years from when you were yeah. in a punk band as a young teen. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was. I started really young. I think I was in a band when I was about 13 and, um, uh, and we, it was a good time. Being sort of post-punk was a very good time to be quite young and, uh, you know, there the, the was sort of... Um, there was a bit of a sort of system where people people were helping out. If we were doing fanzines, we 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 get people to. You know, we got amazing people in in my fanzine that I did. You know, like we get interviews with like the Clash or something. You know, just but but we were like kids, and it's just amazing that we just thought, God, you know, we could, there was something. It was quite good to be the kids at that point. I think it's always good to be the kids, but it certainly seemed to be then. And um, so yeah, I, I made a, this kind of record. It sounds a bit like the. Buzzcocks or the undertones when I was about 13 it was by the instant vicars and um we just um I, I took the, we got I kind of saved up the money borrowed some money off my dad and then me and my dad went up to rough trades this was about 1979 1980 and they like bought most of them over the counter and gave us money out of the till and it was just incredible it was just a, this amazing thing and um and then from there we went on to to the bbc in 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 the middle of town and um just asked for john peel and so can we see him and he came down took the record and he played it the next night and so so this was, I was like 13 or 14 I was, and, and pretty much since then i was like right this is what i want to do basically because <laughs> it it just seemed you know it just seemed exciting and and just getting a music on on national radio was just incredible really i mean there was sort of even like three or four years before that the barriers to entry would be so much higher you know i mean just having a record out on an indie label was you know quite quite rare at the time so um that was the start and then uh 
Then I started working for a label called Bam Caruso, which was um, like a psychedelic reissue label. And um, we put out loads of, yeah, loads of kind of uh, reissues of people like The Seeds and Left Bank and like the soundtracks of the Prisoner um, TV series and stuff, which um, with a massive gatefold sleeve. It was great. That, that actually, I think that kind of kept the label going for about a year because we sold loads of that one. Was that all Ron Grainer? Was that, did he just do the yeah. theme? All right. Okay. The Doctor Who composer. Yeah, and loads of little incidental music and um, we put a map and a book in it and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, so that was sort of mid-80s. And then, yeah, I was also, we, we also, um, at Bam Cruiser, we, we, uh, we edited a magazine called Strange Things Are Happening. And from that, I kind of started talking to lots of different people and um, uh, doing interviews with loads of bands. And, um, and one of the people that I interviewed was um, Genesis Peorage out of Psychic TV. And he said, have you heard about this thing called Acid House? And I was like, well, I, I'm like, I hadn't. There had been house records in the, in the charts. I mean, Love Can't Turn Around and Jack Your Body had been, been chart records, but I hadn't heard about Acid House. But I, just, I loved the idea of just like a psychedelic dance music. I thought this was, you know, it sounds great. And um, so I went to interview him and he liked our Bam Caruso records and, and he, he was kind of like the sort of psychedelic ethos and he said right let's go and make a record next weekend and so we did and we went, went and made a record called jack the tab and he, with about 10 of my kind of people from bam cruise all our kind of psychedelic lot and some of his psychic tv people and the timing was really lucky because you know again you know two years before that it, we wouldn't be able to afford you know a synclavio or or, um, or a fairlight you know because that was the only apart from you know tape edits that's probably only kind of sampling that you could do but suddenly you know we were there just at the time when you could get an S S900 and an, an Atari and um, went to this little tiny studio in Chiswick and there happened to be an amazing um, engineer called Richard Evans who was there who was just incredibly quick and really excited, excited about this idea of using you know bits of records and tapes and VHS and stuff that we brought in we just brought all this stuff together and he went on to become one of the main um, engineers at Real World at Peter Gabriel's oh, place wow. and um, but it was just you know he was just so excited and we were doing these tracks like we had this rule where they had to be uh, you had to finish the track within an hour and it was really weird because I, I kind of I had I had some experience in the studios but being sort of playing guitars and and I've been to a few studios and we'd made a few records on Bam Cruiser but I hadn't made any records like this because you know this this equipment wasn't really there before so I kind of thought well that's how you make electronic records really really quickly basically <laughs> kind of almost like a you know an early, early Beatles album or something where you just go in and bash it out and you know I've never really worked in that way again and it's a it's a real shame because it's sort of we, we were kind of jamming we we're kind of using you know the S900 and bits of tape and there was two different rooms and different people just putting stuff together and um and it was a really exciting experience and it kind of it soured somewhat when uh, I put it out on my label and and Jen decided to um uh, license it all throughout the world and not and not tell me which kind of sold the situation somewhat but it uh, it was a great session and uh, and you know the, just the vibe in the air was it was one of my favorite ever recording sessions i think and just just the amount of people in the studio including children and a dog it was <laughs> quite a strange thing and um and, and it's the first time i met dave ball from uh, from soft cell who I was quite intimidated by to start with because he's a big guy. And then from that, well, that the Jack, Jack the Tab album did really well uh, in the UK and um, got on the cover of the NME and it just sort of kind of started growing from there. And so got offered a deal um, with Warner Brothers with Jen, strangely enough. It was me and Jen were going to be the grid. And then he, he kind of backed out. But I'd also been working with Dave Ball on the Jack the Tab thing. And so uh, I got signed to, as a solo artist to Warner's and I, I was going to like record with loads of different people. I was thinking, right, I'm going to do a kind of house 
you know, United Nations of House album and, and record different territories, different cities, uh, anywhere where there might be a good dance sort of scene. And uh, but then someone else kind of did a very similar album. I think it was Mark Kamins did a very similar album. And thought, oh no, I just I'm just going to do it in the UK, and and I'll just I'll play have it with a few different producers um, as collaborators, and then um, started working with Dave, and that kind of went so well that he he then became the other half of the grid, and we we went on. And did just loads of records, basically, after that, and we're still making them now. I mean, it's kind of, you know, this many, many years later, we're still, uh, we're still collaborating and still, still doing stuff. So what gear would you say underpinned the sound of The Grid? The Grid was, from Dave's gear, certainly Prophet 5 was his big, big synth. He had a PPG Wave 2.2, um, some, Cor- some Korg stuff. I think the Tainted Love st- uh, sound is off, uh, like an early... Very small Korg monosynth, um, but other other things we were kind of we were into sequencing like kind of pre Logic and, and and pre kind of Cubase. We were we were just using these um, Elisis sequences, which were like um, there was a drum machine and then a sixteen track um, very basic sequencer that could do loops with an Akai, and so we used to just record like 48 tracks of loops and then just mix it live on the desk by just muting things in and out, which is a ridiculous way of working. But we did that for all of the first Grid album, um, up until the second one. And then, you know, I kind of started, uh, I think we, yeah, we started with Cubase and then moved to Logic. I got one of the, I got the first Mac, the, the really small um, kind of square one, which I've still got in the attic somewhere. And um, it's still got Cubase on it, I think. But so we went from that and then moved, and then moved to moved to Logic. And I think the first first track I did in Logic was a track called Roller Coaster, which is on... I think the second or third, maybe yeah, third grid album, which is just this bizarre kind of acid house track with like washing machine noises on it, but it uh, made the top twenty. We both actually really like using the Casio FZ1, which is a sort of keyboard with a very you know with a, with an amazing um, sample length. I think you could sample like for a, you know a second and a half or something, but it had a real kind of gritty sound, and you could go down to kind of eight bit, and and it had we we used that a lot for and, and took those on tour for, for ages. But um, yeah, a few other things. Um, Yamaha CS5 we used. We kind of, yeah, we kind of went through stages. But I think I think for Dave, I mean, Dave's Dave's sort of favourite seems to be the Prophet, really. And then beyond the grid, there's just been so much more that you've done. So it's kind of musically, how would you charter that trajectory? Yeah, I mean, after the sort of acid housing, and particularly going to going to Ibiza, I used to um, DJ there and and. And uh, you know we we did lots and lots of remixes. So um, I mean, the Grid remixed like Brian Eno, Yellow, Pet Shop Boys, Happy Mondays, just tons. I mean, probably between those mixes and up to date, I've probably done four or five hundred remixes. I, I guess. I mean, it's 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 just hundreds and hundreds. And you do everything from home now, from your home studio, or have you had studios that you've worked with over the years? Yeah, well, over the years I've had 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 sort of spaces, but I've, I've just now uh, started my new, new studio, which is. Um, in the garden for the first time, oh, which is nice. great. So I've been uh, just, just it's it's very exciting, and I'm I'm becoming very monk like. I think <laughs> just sort of sitting here and and then you know. Well, but then I, I'm sure in about a few weeks I'll get bored and then ring someone up and want to collaborate. Really, basically, because I quite like working with other people. But but it's um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's been many many remixes and um, yeah, just different flavors, and, and I think both 
Dave and myself were, were very are very open. I mean, he 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 kind of came from, you know, more northern soul background and and soul music, but also we kind of both really bonded over Kraftwerk and and Suicide uh, and Throbbing Gristle. So we kind of had this sort of weird mix, but also we really love pop as well. We kind of like um, really like high energy and and. Um, even you know things like Divine Records and things, or you know Bobby O, you know, that, that sort of thing. So it's, it was kind of weird mix of uh, kind of industrial to to uh, to craft work to to northern to and then and then I kind of, kind of brought in the more sort of psychedelic elements too. So it's quite a wide range really, and I, I've always kind of liked that. I, th- I always thought you know you don't really need to just stick in one genre, or, or you know, I mean, which has been very useful certainly for remixing and producing. It's, it's you know you've got to be fairly open minded because uh, or else you're just going to do the same thing. So I, I think I've you know the range of music I've done for over the years, and, and including right up to today. I mean, the last few records I put out have been like a droney ambient record. Um, I've got a banging sort of um, electronic album that I'm writing at the moment, mainly using iPad plugins. Strangely enough, which is which is great, and it's really quick. I love that that way of working. Uh, to a, a full-on sort of English folk record from that sounds like it was made in 1970. So, so yeah, so there's always a yeah, it's good to have a bit of variety, really. But I mean, I th- you know. I think my main, I think my main thing's always been kind of atmospheric music, music that's got a kind of kind of landscape to it that you can kind of, you know, immerse yourself in. So there must be something in you that wants to cover those bases because a lot of us do specialise or focus on a certain style, but there must be something in you that wants to touch all those bases and cover them. Yeah, it's part, partly a kind of desire to collaborate with more more you know different people, and because you know I always find you know when you, when you collaborate you always learn something mm. new because it's it's just you know whoever comes in has got to have a different outlook and and um different different techniques and and um you know things that they really like so so i kind of think possibly that that kind of you know and, and i've just always had a very very broad taste in music i've always kind of liked a, a lot of different music and i kind of think probably coming from the sort of acid and balearic thing i mean that, that was a real mishmash of, of styles and, and and you know bringing lots of things together on the dance floor which probably didn't you know um didn't always work you know some of them were too too poppy yeah i've always kind of i i, I don't think i could just make techno forever I, don't, I think i'd have to have to do other different things but i kind of it's quite nice in a way because i kind of get like really focused on one thing so like for the last two or three years i haven't really made any any kind of beat records it's always it's been just ambient and drone and really kind of looking into um you know the world of um uh Eliane Radigue and uh Pauline Oliveros and and the, the, the whole kind of deep, deep listening on concept I'm just really immersing myself in that and just you know spending a lot of time making ambient records starting in the morning listening to like an hour long Eliane Radigue track while meditating <laughs> which um which is a which is a strange uh phenomenon I, f- I found that uh I'd, I'd been meditating for years and then started to listen to kind of drone music as I was meditating and then I then I sort of stopped doing the mantra and realized that the drone just listening to the drone was actually stronger than than the meditation so I kind of that made me really look at what Pauline Oliveros was has been has studied you know that that idea of you know really deep listening or really kind of quite focused listening um and listening to the you know from the smallest thing to the furthest away bit of the cosmos and um i, I love i just love that idea and, and that, that really took me 
places. And it's really getting back to the fact that we are frequency and, mm. and, and listening, like Evelyn Glennie talks about how we don't just listen with our ears. Like once yeah. you start to really embody your experience, which is what meditation is about, isn't it? Not just being in rehashing the past or, re, uh, or rehearsing the future. <laughs> and once you really sink into that, that's when music and sound become something else, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, I certainly found that with the the music for healing stuff that I've been doing. I mean, that that was kind of um, I was living on Portbella Road in in, in Labrock Grove in London, and it was just chaos around us. It was just like this mad cafe downstairs where there was all kind of threats and drugs and knives and just horrible stuff going on, and um, and it was quite scary. And um, I mean, all our female next door neighbours all moved out, and we were kind of left with this kind of mad stuff going on. So I kind of decided to just create a safe space at home and create some very, very, very chilled out music just purely to for my own sanity more than anything else. And um, and it seemed to work. I mean, it was, it was kind of just around the time I was starting to really listen to things like particularly the Eleanor Dig um, Trilogy de l'Amour, which is a very long track. I think it's like an hour long or something. And um, very little happens, but when it does, when you get focused in on it, the, the, the small changes become enormous and um so uh I was, yeah so i just started making that music and that also it was a bit before lockdown and then as lockdown kind of happened i thought well you know this maybe this will help other people so i started releasing them on Bandcamp. i did it in the first lockdown i put one out every week and just gave all the profit to mind the mental health charity and um and it just seemed to work people just started to write to me saying you know this has helped with all kinds of things. I mean, they're just sort of low-level anxiety and stress is the kind of main one. But, you know, people have said it's helped them with bereavement. Um, it's helped with people uh, who've worked as carers for people with Alzheimer's. It said it really, really helped. And quite a different thing to the usual Alzheimer's thing as well, because a lot of time um, music can really help with, with those um, kind of conditions um it's normally music that um sparks memory it's music that, that the people have heard years ago and, and can remember and, and that's that, that that kind of part of the brain seems very active but i think um the ambient ambient type music seems to work as well and and, and there was certainly uh, one friend of mine who said you know was playing it to someone in a, in a care home and who hadn't spoken for for a long time and, and um and, and you know, and, and some conversations were starting, and and um, when uh, he tried to take the headphones away, she wouldn't let him. <laughs> she was like, "No, I want this." So a bit of a struggle went on. I don't think there's anything particularly special about the music I'm making in terms of science or technology. It's basically it's it's all very slow. Not very much happens. I kind of they're all about twenty minutes long, um, and I kind of um, encourage people to sort of sit still and listen to it. On have possibly on headphones or with your eyes closed, so it's sort of you. You kind of you are in a particular state. So it may be just the sitting down for twenty minutes is 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 the thing that's working. But um, but even if it is, that's fine as well. You know, I'm not kind of I haven't got any great sort of grand. Uh, you know, I can't can't sort of say it's because of these particular frequencies or or whatever. Like you know, a, a lot of it is just anecdotal evidence. But um, but it does seem to work, and it does you know for some people. It does seem fairly universal that you know the very very slow music with not much going on and not much sort of very jolting change that 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 if if it's like that that does seem to help i mean there's the there's sort of definite aspects of the brain kind of recognizing if if something's in some kind of looping formation that the brain will remember that and then kind of guess what's going to happen next and that's um and that's uh 
quite quite relaxing, I think, for the brain as well. So, um, but it's 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 yeah, it's, it's interesting. We're just kind of you know in the Spotify era where people are like skipping tracks after thirty seconds. This is the the absolute opposite. That you know it, it kind of doesn't particularly work on Spotify because you've really got to be with it for a long time and sit with it but um but you know it's it's i think it you know i think it's i think it is is a very viable thing once you get into that zone and and that world you just don't want to leave you know it's just you're just sort of in in that place and i think if music can do that if it can actually take you somewhere you know that's that's a that's a great thing And in terms of the tools, then the sounds the, that you'll be using for the, let's say, the music feeling, the more the totally ambient stuff that you've been focusing on, is that different than the tools your your go-to tools, if you like, for the more dancey stuff? Um, I've got quite a small setup. I mean, I, I think I use most things, most uh, most stuff for most music. I mean, if it's electronic, so um, I've got some things like the Eventide Space Pedal. I'll use a lot, and I've got that kind of plumbed into my um, into Logic, um, so it just comes out as an in-out thing, which I really like. I've got that as a as a plugin, but actually having the hardware and putting the hardware through the system is 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 greatly preferable. That's an amazing piece of kit because it's it's a very musical reverb I mean, it really changes you know you can if you put different keyboards through it it's almost like you've got another new keyboard because because it's got all these harmonies and trails and stuff that it does on it i've always liked even tides hardware i mean since the the um h what was it probably h3000 upwards i suppose the, the multi-effects units they just they seem to be um they seem to be very musician focused. There's kind of there's something you, you kind of you could. It's they encourage you to play. I think which is which is great. So yeah, so use that. But I've, I've, yeah, I've got most of the rolling kit really. Mainly I've got what well, I'm sitting here with a Juno 60 and a 101 and an 808 and a 909 and uh, and a Mini Moog and um, I use the Matrix thousand quite a lot with it because I've got a controller for it and that that's really great. And that's that's a definite tip for anyone that's looking for a a very good Oberheim uh, for cheap because um, you can buy the Matrix 1000. It's just a rack unit with a thousand presets in it, which is all right, but you can get that for a few hundred quid. But if you get the controller that goes with it, which is called, hold on a sec, uh, well, I can't see from here, but there's a controller that works works with it, which is a few hundred quid. And then suddenly you've got an amazing Oberheim synth because the sounds are just really, really good quality. Um, it's only mono, unfortunately, but it's but it's um, it's really great. We always used to do the trick in the grid to create pads, um, recording it recording it twice and having them just slight one of them slightly detuned from the other one, and then you get mm. this lovely width to it. And uh, but the sounds are really lush anyway, so you can kind of get that. So it's got a very reminds me of sort of kind of mid-90s Depeche Mode albums. It's got that kind of vibe to nice. it. But, uh, but yeah, but late, lately I've been really getting into the iPad because it's, it's, um, there's just so many good noises on it. I mean, now you can have a quite a, a reasonable size iPad and, and just using 
you know, you, you don't, it doesn't have to be keyboard based. So you've got things where you can really use your fingers in a different way, you know, or even, you know, things like the Roly keyboard on the iPad is really nice. And, um, you know, lots of kind of theremin based stuff, lots of sequences based things, but, but, um, they're all, it's, yeah, they're very, um, very immediate, very, very, um, you know, I kind of like things like that. I, I kind of don't want to be diving through menus or anything. I want it to be just right. You know, so I love, you know, the mini Moog or mini Moog as we're meant to call it. Um, but yeah, they're just, just cause it's, you know, just, it's, there's not much going on, but you kind of can use it, uh, you know, very, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, the, the Moog stuff, the, the system, uh, system 15 on, on the iPad, which I think was free for a while, is, is just incredible. I mean, it's because it's, I've kind of worked on the, the bigger systems like the system 55, which I just absolutely love. And um, just to have it as a, as um as an iPad is, is uh, plug-in, it's incredible. It's also when using the bigger, we, we did a whole Moog record. There was a Moog sound library where they, um, they had um, they, uh, transported loads and loads of equipment to um, Guildford um, University of Surrey. And, um, and the grid was the first um, artist to use it. Lots and lots of different people used it. And there's just this insane amount of equipment with this big, System 55, um, 5U system, and um, about sort of 18 Moogafugas and all his, all his kit and uh, racks and racks of stuff. And um, and uh, so it's very daunting when you've never used one of these big machines that looks like a kind of telephone kiosk, basically. <laughs> and you're kind of like, oh, what do we plug into where? stuff. So it's great having the iPad because you can kind of work out at your leisure what, what, what goes where. It's really, you can just plug virtually plug in everything to everything else so uh, i think that's great i, mean, I haven't looked and i'm sure there's bound to be some really great great modular stuff on the ipad as well because i think that's again it's that that's that can be a a massive kind of kind of worms um to to get into and uh, and I, I i kind of went down that rabbit hole a little bit but i just didn't i just didn't end up making tunes it was always like made sort of noises and beats and atmospheres and that was kind of all right but and i just didn't i don't know i kind of like i like melody and i like texture but i kind of but i kind of want it to end up being something that isn't just something that you could just let sat listening to for an hour and think and suddenly you haven't made a tune for three weeks <laughs> and also you've got uh no money in the bank <laughs> that seems to be the, the thing for uh for modular i probably will kind of dip in a little bit again but i'm, I'm i just yeah i mean because there are so many amazing amazing things you can get brilliant so yeah you've worked with so many different people i wonder if there's any any projects or collaborations remixes that come to mind as kind of um yeah really interesting or amazing learning opportunities for you yeah, I think that the, we, we really kind of hit our stride with the grid on the second album, which was uh, four, five, six. We'd, we'd signed to signed to Virgin, and we'd um, we got this new manager called David Entoven, who was this incredible guy. He was a real sort of '60s Chelsea guy a bit. He had a bit of the there's a bit of the old uh, Austin Powers about him, and I think I think he was there was definite rumor that he was he was one of the people that they. Uh, that that was the inspiration for the um, for the manager in Spinal Tap, but I think I think a number of uh, a number of managers have uh, have claimed that, but uh, I don't think David claimed it, but I, I did hear that as well. But but he was he 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 managed all these incredible people. He'd managed T Rex and King Crimson and Roxy and 
ELP and he was the E out of EG Records, the Eno's label. And so he he we, he started managing us when we when we signed to Virgin and um he rang me up one day and, and said, I've got to manage you. I've just heard your album and it reminds me of Roxy Music's first album, so I have to manage you. Like it's, it was just a fantastic guy. And um but he because of course knew all these people. So we so we we uh, we were lucky, we kind of got a bit of budget and um and so we just started collaborating, you know every day pretty much and just so we had robert fripp in with great with some great sessions with fripp in uh, in east coast studios in in uh, in west london where um he came in he loaded up with just two massive racks of, of even even tied and tc electronic type type uh, equipment of, and some of the some of the delays he had were like I think they were like 72 seconds long or something. He had these kind of customised things. So he'd play some mad sound and it would come back like a minute and a bit later. <laughs> and, um, so he just kind of created these uh, amazing soundscapes. And it was, it was very, um, it was quite a nerve-wracking thing because he's obviously, you know, uh, he's a, a very, you know, high quality technician and a bit stern. And and we thought, oh God, you know, how are we going to work? Because we, we would, you know, we come from, you know, pure art school DIY, you know, so it's post-punk, so it wasn't really, you know, we're not kind of soloists. So um, it was, it was a thinking, oh God, this isn't going to work at all. But, um, but we just got, it got into it straight away because he, I mean, he obviously comes from being a crafty guitarist, but, but also comes from, uh, you know, a very spiritual background and also, and, and art school. So that, that, or, or that, that approach. So we could just say to him, you know, Make a sound that sounds like a nuclear war, and he would, <laughs> and would really enjoy kind of trying to work out what that would be. So we did lots of things like that with him, and we, we, that's right. We got, we all wanted him to play on three or four tracks, and he just kept saying, "Oh, have you got any more? Have you got any more tracks?" And so, um, so we kept, we kept we said, "Okay, right, we've got we've got a new one for you. This one we, we just want you to play just your Les Paul. That's beautiful. Like I don't know what year, probably 1957. Les Les Paul, absolutely amazing." Instruments. He said, "Right, turn off all of the racks, and um, we just want you to play just the just the, the Les Paul, and um, and we only want you to play four notes." <laughs> and it was, um, and he was a bit puzzled because it was because um, it was it was a very quite a simple song. It was this track uh, on on, uh, on four five six called Aquarium, and we just wanted to play something very simple where there's piano on it, and it's quite a slow kind of ninety eight BPM sort of vibe. And so he had a little think and thought, right, I'm going to have a little walk around the block. So he walked around the block and he came back and then he did it and um, and he got the four notes. And he was like, he was really excited because he was like, there's only four notes, but they're the right four notes. <laughs> it was just an amazing character. So we've kind of done a few other things. We did a, re a recent record with him as well called Leviathan, Grid, Grid, and, Grid and Frip. That came out last year and um, that was tracks, was kind of some of the stuff that we'd, we'd um, recorded um, much earlier, some of the, some of the uh, kind of soundscapes that he he'd uh, he'd made, and uh, I started kind of. Work, I think we found some some tracks from that session. Actually, actually, that's right. We found um, from the fourth five six album that we were doing. We found almost an, another album's worth of material, and I played it to Dave, and we were like. Can you remember making this? And neither of us could. It's just like, what are all these tracks? And because I think you know, we, at the time, it kind of our idea of a demo was, you know, you just get do a board mix. But then, you know, the boards were good. It was an old Neve desk, or, or you know, a, a nice desk. And 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 Philip from uh, Eastcote was a great a great engineer. So so um, 
uh, or Ingo, the other guy we were using there, but both of them really good. And so we heard, found all these old dats and, and, and they sounded like finished tracks. So we're like, oh, we should do something with this. So one of them came out on a Late Night Tales album that Bill Brewster put together. But we, yeah, we just thought, oh, we should do some more stuff with this Fripp stuff. So we got in touch with him and he, he, he provided us with hours and hours of, uh, of, of similar sort of droney material that he'd recorded, um, I think mainly around the same time. I think they've got his, uh, him and his, his, uh, his, his label uh, people have got a very, very good um, library of pretty much everything he's, he's recorded. I think everything gets uh, gets stored and catalogued and um so yeah so I, I started working with with dave on 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 that and we just created a whole lot of those new new um, new sounds from that and it's it, it kind of worked really well it's a good um good thing i'd like, love love for us to work with him again at some stage Fantastic. And you're also starting to work or have been working more in kind of immersive surround stuff with um, D&B. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I went up to see, um, I've got a friend, John Best, who was, um, he was one of the big PR people during the Britpop era and a manager and uh, he managed Sigur Ross for, for many, many years. And um, he's living in Stroud, where, which is where, just by where D&B's UK operation is. And um They've put um, in this Isambard Kingdom Brunel railway kind of shed there. They've they've uh, built this kind of gig room with with um, with a DMB um, surround system soundscape is their immersive thing uh, with so it's twenty speakers around the room. So I did a gig up there at the beginning of the year with playing in the middle and then the audience around the side and then the speakers behind them. And it was a real revelation. It's kind of like you know sort of used. Other things like Ambio, um, the Sennheiser one, and you know, um, I haven't, haven't had much experience with with um, with Dolby Atmos, but but actually using a, a surround a surround system for live. And, you know, I had a, I had a day um, rehearsing, just going up there, and we'd put all the stems into the system, and then just was kind of trying stuff out, and um, it was very very exciting. So I'm, I'm going to be going back up there every every couple of months, kind of working on a new um, surround um, live show, and just kind of seeing what happens because i think for for them that they're kind of um they want they want musicians to get involved because i'm sure we're going to by accident we'll we'll find the new uh you know i'm sure that's how phase was developed or flange or all those kind of things it's like you know that that there'll be there'll be kind of re recording techniques and, and and live techniques that that will develop out of this because you have you know you haven't got a master bus you've got, you've got two tracks you've got a stereo you've got to, it's got to come from all over so you know what, what would happen if you put 20 things out of phase what, what happens you know just it's just the spatial stuff you can do and the the dynamics you can you can do and what you know what, what you can create i mean because it's initially that those those systems were you know for for a, a flat uh stage that you're you know you're looking at the stage and you're looking at the orchestra but you want to hear you know the string section over there because that's where they are and so that's that's what those systems were for it's you know it's much more of a kind of you know just mapping where 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 people were 
But I mean, but if you take the acid out approach and you, you take the 303 and make it do something it's totally not meant to do, if we do the same sort of thing with, with, with these kind of systems, there's going to be some interesting things coming out. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I mean, for certainly for electronic music, it's, it's just, I can hear already there's a, you know, a new kind of electronic dub will, will emerge that's, that's going to be yeah, just really exciting if, if, if you if you can get in a room with with that kind of system it just really works but and also i think the the the, the, um, the big change this time compared to quad or, or you know 5.1 or, or any of the earlier um surround systems is that um it's headphones because you know everyone's got headphones um you know logic are, 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 you know seem seem to be very positive about about the new um then you surround that you can do within logic and atmos is 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 doing great guns as well so there, there's you know it's, it's a very exciting time i mean just it's I, you know it's always been seen as a kind of niche interest but i think you know the, the combination of headphones you know gaming particularly and film um it's just you know it's exciting as a as a, as a, as a musician and a, and a producer it's, it's, it can be uh, you know i'm, I'm uh, looking forward to many collaborations i think with this mm. Yeah, fantastic. Any other sort of exciting future directions that you're quite hungry to explore? Um, I'm mainly doing. I'm, I'm mainly coming back to back to back to beats at the moment. I, I did a, um, I did an album which is much more like a kind of German kind of cosmic album with a with a little Korg something fifty five. I think some little tiny little drum machine with that has a few few kind of little drum fills that that sound very mechanical, a bit like. Cabri Voltaire, Nag Nag Lag, or something like that. Those kind of doodle doodle, like, it sounds right. And I just did a very kind of hypnotic sort of German influenced record um, with that. But now, I've, now I'm coming back to a very full on dance record, that, which is very, it's very melodic. It's very much in the spirit of the things that I've been doing with the grid. But it's very, uh, yeah, just 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 the, the immediacy of using iPads and using iPad sequences, and um, uh, and and just the, the quality is pretty good. I mean, I, I am kind of cheating a bit. I'm adding kind of. Mini Moog and other bits and pieces, and particularly the uh, Geno 60, I've always been been fond of. I love I'd love the kind of very kind of basic arpeggios on it and sequences you can do. So, but the kind of combination of that. But so yeah, that's that's really um, I'm really focused on doing that at the moment. But there, but there's yeah, there's various other other things in the in the in the pipeline. There's there's a couple of couple of drone projects, um, loads of remixes and a book. I'm writing a book as well. So there's there's lots lots going on. <laughs> yes, on top of everything else, you're a writer. So you yeah. just happen to write um, Paul Oakenfold's authorised biography and you're also writing a memoir yourself. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, the Oakenfold one was, well, that was, that was kind of weird. It was sort of a bit before, I mean, it's a really great time at the moment to do uh, music books because you know there seems to be a, a, a very kind of interested and engaged audience for for for, for that kind of writing and um, I think with Paul's Paul's one it was a little bit early but um but it was kind of I just wanted to see if I could do it because it's you know I'd written I used to write for the enemy years ago and select and various other magazines but just the, the thought of writing a hundred thousand words was was um bit daunting and i had to do it in about five months as well which included about three trips to go and see paul in america and and uh, just get the whole thing together because they wanted it out before christmas and so it was, it was a real rush job but um so i think we might i've got slightly longer on my own book luckily <laughs> so i don't have to i don't have to hand in my homework till next uh next march i think so <laughs> And tell us a bit about what you are writing. Oh, it's just about kind of experiences in music, really. Just about people that I've collaborated with, and just sort of, it's it's interesting because it's sort of 
a lot of the anecdotal stuff I've got. I mean, I've got like reams of of anecdotes that, that I could go on for days on, on just you know, where and I frequently do, and people frequently tell tell me to shut up. Uh, but um, the um, it's it's interesting that, that that bit's that bit's kind of easy. It's just it's kind of I'm finding just in the in the actual process of writing, I'm kind of um, uncovering what the book's about rather than thinking what it was about to start with. I'm kind of so it's it's becoming more about you know the value of of uh, community and a value of collaboration and and you know what what it means to be a musician for life you know what what that's and, and what you know what's important you know i've just really found that things like you know if top of the pops five times but the response to the music for healing records which is like literally a few hundred people you know and uh, the, but they've but a lot of them have been writing in saying how, how much it's affected them that's been that's meant so much more to me than being on top of the pops and it's just like it's kind of it's really interesting to try, you know, I'm really glad I've waited and haven't really written any any kind of autobiographical things until a bit a bit older because because it's 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 I think even 5 years ago I don't think I could have written what I'm going to write now but it's 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 great it's it's a really very cathartic thing to do sort of you, you didn't think you find find out things about yourself that you just didn't at all know were were in there <laughs> Yeah, and you've got such a variety and sort of and the timeline as well of your experiences within the music industry that, um, yeah, I'm sure that will be ace. So, yeah, good luck with completing Thanks. that and yeah. letting it unravel. And, yeah. Um, yeah, good luck with all your continued inventions Brilliant. in music. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. And be sure to check out the show notes page for this episode, where you'll find further information along with web links and details of all the other episodes. And just before you go, let me point you to the soundonsound.com forward slash podcast website page where you can explore what's playing on our other channels. Mm-hmm.